Hi, welcome to Matters of the Heart and Soul. I'm your host, Janie Charlotte. Matters of the Heart and Soul is a podcast to raise awareness and awaken humanity to all that is within. We want to be a beacon of light on your life journey. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast. This is Janie Charlotte. And on this episode, we are talking to Mr. George P. Brooks. Uh, George has an amazing story to share. I mean, he's very open and candid about his mental health and his diagnoses and what he has battled with since the age of seven. Um, he He's really open about his addiction and um, about, you know, raising his own son right now, who is also dealing with some mental illness. And we talk very open and honest about our black community and, you know, how we have to look at self, become more self-aware and how when we heal self that we automatically help the collective and it was just an amazing conversation and uh, George really shared some amazing nuggets especially if you're raising children but especially if you're raising young boys and um, just kind of the things that we have seen in our communities and, and the things that we all can be a little bit more aware of and it was just a pleasure having him on we did do Facebook Live, so we did have a little technical difficulty. So when you when you start the podcast, it's going to go right into it. Uh, our introduction was cut off, so my apologies. But I think that the meat and the most important things is there, and you guys are going to love it. So we appreciate you guys. Please like, subscribe, and share, and um, keep going, tribe. We are sending a lot of love. We know that a lot of people are dealing with uh, a lot of hurt and pain and those things are coming up to the surface to be healed so we are here if you ever need anything please don't hesitate to reach out all right guys sit back and check it out what's the type that that kind of denied mental health issues They, they they were different than most you know black parents in the sense that they they addressed it they dealt with it so I uh, first saw a psychiatrist at about age 11. And um, I displayed signs of bipolar at an early age and that carried on through my adolescence and young adulthood. And through that time, I had an eating disorder. I was an obese child, obese teenager, uh, obese early adult. And that was quite difficult. And in my early adulthood, I went through a tumultuous marriage developed an addiction to cocaine, uh, several health problems, and neglected my mental health to the point where I went about a 10-year gap of really rock bottom and went through a bad divorce, custody battles, pretty much everything a man could go through that would test him. And uh, Mm -hmm. I, I got sick of myself. And I found that the main thing that was really destroying me was that I was not holding myself accountable for my situation. And through that ordeal, I developed a relationship with God. I held myself accountable and I addressed my mental health and I addressed it aggressively. I was alone on my own, rock bottom, and dug myself out of the dirt. I was at a point where I had to look up to see the gutter. And it took me about four years. And through that process, it was arduous. I developed my nonprofit meta association. 
And the reason that I developed Meta Association was because through that process, I noticed that mostly Black men in my position didn't have resources. They didn't have allies. They didn't have ways to 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 learn about their situation, to to get uh, access to care, basically to find people that cared because we were misunderstood. As men, we're taught to suck things up. We we're taught to tough it out. We're we're not allowed to express our feelings or emotions. And I wanted to create a, a safe place to where we could we could find uh, compassion and find ways to heal. So that's why I created Meta Association. And that's pretty much my story. And it's led me to a point today where I have healed. And it took my relationship with God. It took me embracing therapy, which is something that we as Black people don't typically do. It took me embracing uh, my medication and, and finding ways to improve my emotional health and being accountable and understanding that through the healing process, it's on me. While people may have contributed to my situation and how they treated me, uh, I'm not responsible for how people react to me. I'm responsible for how I respond to them. Mm -hmm. Now, throughout my healing process, uh, people do you wrong in life. That's just a simple fact. And that contributes to what, what you go through. But there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, all you can do is get away from toxic people. And, and oftentimes we as Black folks, and I'll just speak just the God to honest truth, we stay around toxic people because we feel like we're obligated because we're blood and we're family. Blood does not make you family. If big mama is toxic, then you got to get away from big mama. I don't care if that's your mama or your grandmama. You, you have to protect yourself because you're the one responsible for your well-being. And that's just one of the things that I developed. That's one of the things that I talk about with Meta Association. And that's just a truth. And one of the things that we as people and as a people need to really realize to heal ourselves because not addressing our mental health is affecting our communities, is affecting our relationships with our children, is affecting our relationships as, as, as couples, and it's affecting us economically. That's facts. So let's, let's break some stuff down. So you said around seven, you started to realize that you weren't, you didn't really process emotions. You said kind of like normally, right? And this is for people who may have children at this age, you know, and they're starting to worry or be concerned about their kids and you were diagnosed with bipolar. So for people who don't know what that is or what the symptoms are, can you, can you expand a little bit on that? Well, bipolar disorder is a condition to where um, you're prone to extreme mood swings. Uh, mania is where you may be, have elevated mood swings for extended period of times, or you may do what's called cycling. You may go from an elevated mood to a depressed mood uh, at the drop of a hat. And it's really not controllable unless you have medications or ways to cope with it. Um, one example, when I was young, something maybe not that traumatic or dramatic may happen, but it would just affect me to the point where I would react in an extreme way. Mm -hmm. In ways today that it may affect me, my mood may change. And it's not something that's that that where I wig out per se, but I can still feel it. It may affect my energy level. It may affect my mood. It may affect how I function. So in the way that I deal with it in adulthood, I found ways to cope. Uh, I use my medication to help keep me even. Um, uncontrolled, it can be dangerous um, to some people. 
And one thing that we have to keep in mind with mental health is that oftentimes people that suffer from it do get in trouble with the law. And uh, because when it's uncontrolled, you can't control it. Mm -hmm. And you're perceived to be a threat to people when oftentimes we're, we're the ones victimized and not the victimizers. Mm -hmm. But bipolar, with bipolar, uh, it, it's very serious. Um, mm -hmm. You can get into mania and, and, and I don't want to say lose control, but not have your full faculties. Yeah. And you in trouble. But on the, on, the, um, on the other end of that, it can cause depressive moods where you can be depressed and not be able to move for a couple of days or, 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 you know, be prone to, to lethargy, things like that. So, um, you know, it's pretty evident with people. Uh, it may be misdiagnosed sometimes as borderline personality disorder. So bipolar is pretty, the information out there is pretty evident, mm -hmm. but in some people it may look different. Mm -hmm. Some people it may be, um, say, rapid spending, it may be hypersexuality, it may be um, anger, it may be hyperactivity. So it may look like different things to different people. But everything is to the extreme. You know, it's if you go out shopping, it's to the extreme. If you having sex, it's to the extreme. You know, if you get addiction to drugs, it's to the extreme. So right. it, it right. goes from the extremes. Um, let me ask you, what was your home life like you know, between zero and seven and beyond that? Uh, like what type of home did you grow up in? I grew up in a two-parent household. Um, we had periods of poverty, but I don't, I don't think my household was any, any more um, tumultuous than most, most of my peers. Okay. I mean, I did have some emotional, I don't want, I don't like, well, emotional abuse from my father because he was just raised in a different generation. So there wasn't a lot of affection. There wasn't a lot of, um, nurturing from him uh in my age now I, I do see where his 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 coldness what he was trying to instill in me he just didn't know how to mm -hmm. so I can appreciate what he tried to do now but uh you know there, there 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 was no more I think no more ridicule or anything like that in my household than what my peers were I just grew up in what I would call a typical black family at that time Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I, I was blessed. I grew up in a two-family household, so I had kind of had that nuclear experience to draw off of. And my parents divorced when I was a teenager, so I grew up with my three sisters. But it's funny you bring that up because I happen to be estranged from my family now. Uh, the only blood relation I deal with are my two sons because I realized that my family was toxic, mm -hmm. so I had to walk away from that. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, did either of your parents have bipolar or undiagnosed or exhibited some of those, you know, just real up and down emotions? And, you know, did they argue? Did they fight? Like, was there any like childhood trauma that you feel that perhaps contributed to your maybe arrested emotional development at a young age? Um, I. <clears throat> I think my, my parents uh, divorced. They had they had somewhat of a tumultuous relationship. I'm, I think my father may have had some 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 bipolar. Uh, I know my mother suffered from depression. So uh, with with mental illness, it's I believe it's environmental mm -hmm. uh, and genetic also, which is one thing that we as a people need to understand. If you did, I've had a brain scan done, and I've had to compare it to someone that's not bipolar, and it's radically different. So it's definitely biological. But I think certain environmental stimulus that I've had has contributed to it. 
Um, but I think the difference is, is that uh, I was willing to accept my diagnosis and deal with it. Mm -hmm. It's just like a person that has cancer. If you have cancer and you're willing to do the chemo and do the holistic healing and do the things, you'll 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 deal with it better than the person that doesn't. No yeah, difference, yeah. because with mental health, we we often negate the health part of it. It has to be managed. I'm a diabetic. If I don't take my insulin, if I don't eat right, I'll be sick. I'm bipolar. If I don't take my medicine and I don't do the therapy, I'll be sick. And we 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 stigmatize it so much we don't understand it's a health issue. You know, and 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 that's where the problem lies because there's already a disparity between what we get and what they get. You know, but we have to control that disparity. We have to be accountable for our health, for our mental health. And for those of us that do not have a diagnosable condition, we have to deal with our emotional health. Mm -hmm. That means controlling our narratives. That means doing things like I spoke before, getting away from toxic people, no matter who, family or not, friends or not. If you have to move 500 miles away from home to be in a place where you can heal and be better, then that's what you have to do. Because if you don't with, deal with your mental health, it can be fatal. Bipolar men are, are, are like more likely to commit suicide, especially with Black men. And we have to treat it like a reality because we're seeing it now, especially in a post-pandemic world, world. Look at Kanye West. I hate to bring this up. He's bipolar. What we're seeing is the fact that he's not being treated and he's around the wrong people. And we're ridiculing him as a celebrity, but we're not dealing with him as a human. We don't speak of him as a human being with a mental illness. We just laugh at him as a celebrity. And that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. George, once again, I really appreciate what you're doing. And, and thanks again for coming on the show, because this is definitely a much needed conversation. You know, and we, we do see the Kanye's and a whole bunch of other people out there that are suffering and people don't want to call it what it is. So the, I have a couple of questions here. One is, what are some known triggers that would trigger you? And also, at what point do you feel that someone should go seek help? Like, what are some of those triggers? And then at what point should that person say, hey, I think I have a problem? Okay. Uh, first of all, let me say this. Triggers are not the world's responsibility. Triggers are the responsibility of the person that is triggered. Uh, my, it's not your responsibility to tiptoe tip around me. It's up to me to get therapy and deal with my own triggers. So let me say that first of all, but uh, triggers can be something related to trauma. Um, one of my triggers may be say yelling at me in a certain way. Uh, that may trigger me because I dealt with that in childhood. Uh, trigger may be something like ridiculing my mental illness or ridiculing someone else's mental illness. I was an obese child, so I'm very sensitive to, toward children that are ridiculed for their weight. Uh, if I see a child being ridiculed for their weight, I may be apt to say something. That's a trigger. Um, I don't like bullies. I don't like people that, that, that pick on other people. That's a trigger for me because I was bullied as a child. So that's a trigger. But you know, when you, when you have a mental illness, you, 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 you suffer and you're traumatized a lot because you're ridiculed a lot. But it's your responsibility to understand your triggers and to have coping mechanisms where you can deal with them because you're going to be triggered. That's going to happen. People in life are gonna to come to, for you. That's going to happen, mental illness or not. 
So you have to be able to respond and not react. That's you being accountable and that's what you have to do. And that's fact. So with that being said, how, how, if you could give some people, how do they start understanding that this is your work to do? How do you get people to become self-aware of themselves, of their own triggers, and the fact that they are just reacting and not responding? How do we get people to be self-conscious so that they could do the work? Because we are, you know, we're in a great awakening right now, whether people want to participate and help raise the consciousness in love and unity or not, we are here. So I think we all have to do the work, right? And I think individually, we work on ourselves that for collectively, we, we, we change the consciousness. But in your opinion, how do you get people to become more self-aware? Because it's hard. <laughs> yeah, by, by, do, by doing the work that I do with my nonprofit meta association, by having, by what you're doing, by, by this venue. And I'm so grateful and, and, and happy that you're doing this. And thank you for having me on once again, because by having conversations and things like this, uh, people will listen. And maybe this will prompt someone to kind of be introspective and take some time and think about, okay, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, get, the, getting them to take an honest, candid look at their lives and saying, you know what? you know, maybe I should try to be more accountable or, you know what, this person is toxic, but what can I do to improve my situation? I'm suffering. What can I do? Because it is all on you. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing about addiction that I want to bring up, and I hope I'm not sipping on your toes by just saying this, but uh, one thing about addiction that, that I've been, you know, talking about lately is when people say, well, I need to get clean for my kids. I need to get clean for my wife. I need to get clean for my family doesn't work like that. You can't get clean for anybody. You got to do it for you because your kids will let you down. Your family will let you down. If you do it for someone or someone else, you will probably fail. You have to be selfish. And I don't mean selfish in the sense of, oh, let me get the biggest piece of steak on the plate. Selfish in the sense that you're thinking about yourself and what's going to be best for you. Because if you don't take care of yourself first, you're not good for anybody. So and if you're dealing with addiction, you have to do it for you. You have to get sick of you. And you can't be dragged and pulled into to recovery. It has to be when the time is right. And it's just like finding your relationship with God. You can't be dragged to your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. People try to do it all the time. They try to drag. And that's what happened with me for a long time. People were like, well, you got to go to church. You got to do this. No, it happens when it's time. Mm-hmm. But you have to be open and receptive to that time. So, um, you know, you have to do things for yourself before you can be any good to anyone else. And that comes to recovery. That comes to anything in life. You have to put yourself first to work on yourself. Look at yourself. And once you commit yourself to improving yourself, you'll find that other aspects will change in your life from relationships to income to to education to everything, because I've seen it happen. Yeah, George, that that reminds me of like when you're on an airplane, they say in the event of loss of cabin pressure, you you pretty much need to pull that mask down and take care of yourself first before you're capable of helping anybody else. Exactly. And that does like roll over into everything in life, including your relationship with the most high, because it's like it's not personal. If, you know, like when you come out the womb and they, they put you in a cult and they manipulate you and get your name and do all the other stuff, that's not really personal. Right. You know, so I really appreciate the comment. Thank you.
Um, George, so how long have you been clean from your cocaine addiction? I want to say the years, the years have been a blur. I want to say what year is this? 2022, about five years, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to a point where I don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Once I went through that process of being alone and really getting firm and really getting solid and really finding myself, I didn't need it. I addressed mm-hmm. my trauma. I addressed the cause of what, of what I really addressed the root mm-hmm. of what was causing it. And because addiction is nothing but a response to trauma. Yeah. What was your root? What was your root cause? Ridicule. A lot of stuff in my childhood, a lot of low self-esteem. Um, just not feeling worthy, not feeling valued, um, feeling inadequate. It was a lot of that. It was a lot of that. And until I dealt with it, you know, that's what it was. Just dulling the pain, being in a marriage where I didn't feel like I was I was worthy, not not living my potential, forgetting who I was, letting myself down, feeling myself. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and once I took accountability for that and realized it was me, despite whatever, whatever anybody else did, it was it was rooted on me as a man. Once I dealt with it, I didn't need it anymore. Yeah. Let's talk about divorce trauma, because I think, you know, everyone has dealt with divorce, men and women. And I think we we hear a lot from women. Right. But we don't hear a whole lot from the guys and how it affects men. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about divorce trauma and men. And, and, you know, if you could just share how things went with you. Wow. Well, let me say this too. I'm, I, just the other day, I started an online support group for uh, Black men going through divorce, custody, uh, separation, baby and mama drama, all of the above. So uh, I started that. That'll be kicking off. Well, I already started the group. The support group will be starting soon. Uh, my divorce was traumatic. Uh, it was very dramatic. Uh, pretty much everything you could think of that happened, happened. Um, I had hit rock bottom. I was in throes of addiction, going through custody battles with my other son in court constantly. Uh, my wife was unhappy, and I understand my feeling in that because I was not who I was. I was not who she fell in love with. I let myself down. Um, she, how, do, how can I say this without, her actions were uncharacteristic of her. Uh, she had lost her parents. She was in a bad place mostly. Neither of us were who we were really are. I'll put it to you that way. Mm-hmm. So we both played a hand in it. Uh, so it was very, very, very messy. Funny thing is, um, we're friends now. Uh, we worked on ourselves. Uh, I went through therapy once I moved. I left the marital home. I moved to Dallas, but we are friends now. I'm actually in Memphis, back in Memphis on business at the marital home. Um, we're, we're hanging out. We're friends. I'm engaged, but we're good friends. She's an awesome mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's an awesome person. Love her to death. We're not together, but we work through it. 
And I think like, if you can't, if you may not be good together, but if you could separate and keep the kids at the center, kids will thrive having happy, healthy parents that are separated or divorced versus trying to stick to a societal norm of being married. Does that make sense? Right. But when, 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 when I went through divorce, it was painful. And we don't we don't think about what the man goes through. The man goes through a lot of self doubt. Uh, you question your manhood because a lot of times, like me personally, I I kind of define myself by being married, by being a husband. I'm a husband. I'm a father. And when you lose that, you question your masculinity. Sometimes you you question it, it hurts your self esteem. You have to walk around and feel like a failure because this one thing that I made vows on didn't work out. Uh, the economic changes. Um, um, you're 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 dis- You feel disengaged. You know, you you have to face people. It's it's a certain amount of shame involved. Uh, you deal with losing someone that you love. Uh, it's a certain your pride is hurt. All that, the adjustments, everything. It is terrible for a man to go through, especially a black man, because like I said, we made those vows. We took them seriously. And especially in a situation where she leaves, you know, it's a tremendous blow to our ego because mm-hmm. men, as men, we're ego driven. So, and, and there's pain involved, especially with the child involved. We, we think, we see our child suffer. We see our child go through that adjustment. We see our child go through pain and we never really think about the man and what the man goes through. Mm-hmm. And then we have to go through seeing the woman date. That's hard for us. It's hard for us to reconcile. So there's a there's a there's a there's a huge box for us to unpack in going through divorce, and that's one thing I try to go through with. I, I'm going to try to address with the support group, and I'm also uh, starting a po- co-parenting class with my son's former school. So um, you know, there's so much to address, and it's not just a mental health issue; it's an emotional health issue. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just so much with divorce. It's so easy to get married. But divorce is so hard. Yeah. You also have to deal with the legal system in the sense that it's often not fair to men in divorce. Um, I was blessed in the sense that, you know, as far as custody, I got what I wanted. But so many times men don't get what they want. And we have to deal with the emotions involved and, and things like that. So it's tremendously traumatic for men, and especially men of color, because we're stigmatized as not being involved. And there's so many much more of us that are involved, that are good fathers, and we don't get the attention and we don't get the advocacy that we deserve. Yeah. And I don't really see men amongst men coming together. Like what you're saying, you're trying to, you know, form groups and stuff, but you don't see that happening a whole lot. I feel women do have a lot of support because we've always been, I think, groomed in our emotions and to understand it and stuff like that. I think men have not as much as women have been groomed to understand their emotions and understand the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of it. Um, so I, I personally, you know, I don't see a lot of men just coming together and being vulnerable within themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're groomed not to. We, we, we're taught to, to, like I said, tough it out. Uh, don't express emotions. Don't cry. Don't don't emote. And I'm trying to change that because I, I believe in a sense of brotherhood. You know, hey, hey, brother, if you need to talk, hey, pull me aside. If you need to cry, scream, kick, moan, do whatever you got to do, get it out. Express yeah. it. 
Because when you hold it in, it builds up pressure and you can't process it. And we got to get over that because that's why we have so much violence. That's why we have so much domestic violence. That's why we have so much aggression and stuff like that because you know, we don't, we don't let this stuff out. We don't process our emotions. We don't process our trauma. And it hurts, it hurts us in so many ways. And in one way that everybody can understand, it's blocking our pockets. Because we, we're, we're, so, we're so constricted that our home lives are, are, not, are not right. So how can we focus on having a thriving economy? Because people listen when you talk money. You know, so if anything, at least pay attention to it in that regard. Everybody wants to prosper. But we have to have a prosperous, healthy economy and a prosperous, healthy home to get to that. You, you said you said something earlier, but just to piggyback off what you said, you know, the the old notion that men cry in the dark. Like a lot of times, men tend to just bottle things up because we are told in the society to be tough. And you know, if you played sports, you know, you could be out there, your leg broke, laying like ten yards up the field, and they like get up, be a man. Mm-hmm. But um. You know, uh, gosh, what was the other thing I was going to say? So you mentioned like a lot of times, you know, young black men in particular get in trouble with the law. You know, it may be some type of mental issue or whatever. Another thing that I see is the fact that the majority of them are now being raised in single parent homes with their mothers. And they're, they're, they may have a mental issue, but they're also learning how to deal with conflict by watching their mother, which she probably normally deals with conflict the way women do emotionally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have this double whammy of, you know, being bipolar or some other type of mental disorder. And, and then now you're dealing with things emotionally, you're trying to bottle up, you, you don't want to cry, you don't want to express your emotions, and you just blow up. Right. Right. And that comes from not being able to process things in the right way. And the thing is, we have to have men dealing with our with with our young men and mentoring them and guiding them in a healthy way. Uh, What we have now, we have a trend of feminine men and masculine women. And that is a problem. Huge problem. And we need to correct that now. Uh, that's a trend I'm not happy with. That is a trend that I see is going to be destructive to us as a people if we do not correct it. We cannot have feminine men and we cannot have masculine women because we see it in the streets. We have young men expressing their emotions in a feminine way and it ends up being violent. And we have women that are that are hyper-aggressive and, and, and I'll just say I'll just say we have feminine men and masculine women, and that's a trend we need to correct. We have to have women mentoring young women in a correct way. We have to have men mentoring young men in a correct way. And that's, that's what that's what I'm working toward. And y'all know what I, the, the the things that I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and see, that's one of the things I had another podcast before where I, I spoke with an elder because I'm really trying to drive that point home to men is we lost a lot of our culture, you know, through the Atlantic slave trade, through just through history period, right? right? So I always ask the question, when does a boy become a man if there's no rites of passage? 
Exactly. And that's what, that was going to be my next point. We no longer have rites of passage because when they brought us over, the first thing they did was remove the man from the family during, during you know, in, in, after the civil rights movement, you know, for social programs, they don't want the men in the home. Exactly. You know, they removed us. And they and they and they what they do now is they paint us in the light of not being present. They don't want us present. Uh, there was a time when I was with my uh, oldest son. He was about six, seven. I was with his mother. We were going to get them in daycare. And the woman asked, what is he doing here? I'm like, I'm his father. <laughs> oh, wow. I've had those experiences all my oldest son's life. Who? Well, why is he? Well, where's his mother? Doesn't matter where his mother is. I have full custody of him. Mm-hmm. his mother doesn't have rights I do and I've had to deal with it with my oldest son up to this day and he's 17 mm-hmm. so you know the father is undervalued especially the back, black father is undervalued and we're all painted in the same brush and I'm out here and I, that's not the case so you know we have to we have to hold the black father up and I say black because I'm black I'm not saying that at the at the exclusion of other fathers but I got to clean my own house before I clean my neighbor's house but you know we have to hold the black father up as 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 some some sort of virtue, some, some sort of virtuous figure, or else we're doomed. And we have to create new rites of passages for our young men. Yeah, and it's it's a hard conversation, but it's the truth. It's, it's the truth. It's the truth. We do. We can't build a community if we have broken homes. Everything starts with the home, and the home starts with a balanced masculine and feminine energy, raising children in love and healthy environments. And and we have to start there because it's true. We can't build anything else without it because it's not a solid foundation. And it it will eventually fall if it's not. And at home is a mini nation. Yeah. You know, you have, if you're toxic, you're gonna have a toxic family, you're gonna have a toxic community, you're gonna have a toxic nation. And, and I think that's that's where we are right now as a nation, you know, and like they say, when when the nation has a cold, we have the flu in our community. So, you know, yeah, charity starts at home. You know, I totally understand what you're saying. So we definitely have a lot of things that we have to work on as a people. Yeah. And it starts on an individual level because a lot of people say, well, what do we do about it? Well, here's the thing. All we can do is start as individuals, spread the word and do things like what you do, what you guys are doing and get the word out there and propagate the message and spread it because um, social media is a microcosm of society. And if you go to, you, you know, what you see, you see our young women and women exploiting themselves uh, on social media and all ages. Yeah, It's not just young women, it's all ages. We see our young men uh, uh, worshiping guns and money and violence, all ages. Yeah. So, you know, all we can do and the best thing for us to do is as, as individual advocates for ourselves, spread the message, get it out there. And, you know, because we can't take everybody with us. Um, and no. just take those with us and, and keep it keep it moving. And those that fall to the wayside, I'm sorry, you just kind of on your own and and build up what we can and, um, and, and continue to work and work with other cultures and other races to try to build a society that's going to work for us all. And uh, just just keep keep going and keep progressing, and that's all we can do, and be accountable. Yeah, that is so true. So, George, you also mentioned that you have one of your sons that also has mental illness. Can you speak on that a little bit? Like, what is he dealing with? What is he okay living with? My oldest son, uh, seventeen now, he was diagnosed with bipolar by age seven, and at that time he was living with his mother. 
and I've always been in his life, but his mother uh, has been, a, uh, um, I'm just going to say it, in the way and a problem. She, you know, a lot of things that were going on with him, I wasn't made aware of. There are things to this day I'm finding out about. And to be honest, I should have had custody of him from the get-go and uh, refused to get him care. I had to spearhead that. So, um, you know, it's been difficult for him. He has, he's had some challenges and challenges to this day, but I'm doing my best to walk him through it as a father. Uh, he's transitioning into manhood now. And I'm working with him. Uh, you know, he's just had a rough time, but he's always had his daddy there. And that's one of the things that's important. We really have to nurture our sons. We don't nurture them enough. Uh, you know, it, it's just been a challenge, especially dealing with him with the mental illness, with the severity he's had. And fathers, I'll tell you this. Don't be afraid to snatch your sons and your children from the mothers of day ain't up to snuff. I'm just going to tell you the truth. The court, you look, they don't have any more rights to their children than you do. If you got to take them to court, take them to court and fight for your children. Work with the mothers if you can, but if you can't, fight for your children. And that's all I have to say on that now. Mm, that's good advice. That's yeah, good yeah. advice. So, George, um, you're a public speaker, writer. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us how we can help support Meta and what you're doing out there in Dallas um, and how you're trying to turn things around and how can our listeners get in touch with you and support you as well? Well, I'm endeavoring into public speaking on different topics. Um, some about my story, some about just uh, uh, motivation, different business, different subjects, starting a nonprofit, pretty much any, I can pretty much speak on everything. Yeah. <laughs> I got a big mouth and that's part of my problem. Uh, but uh, you can reach me at metaassociation.org, M-E-T-T-A association.org. Uh, my office number is 214-810-6518. Um, leave me a message. I answer all calls personally within 24 hours. Uh, this is the best way to support us. I am on Facebook under George P. Brooks. So I'm pretty accessible, uh, open to collaborations. If you're open to having me come speak either virtually or personally, I'm willing to do so. So uh, www.metaassociation.org. Uh, we're looking for donations to fund some programs so you can donate there and support us. But um, George P. Brooks on Facebook and our office number is 214-810-6518. We welcome any collaborations. Uh, if you can't donate, send a prayer. I'll definitely welcome those prayers because they've got me through many dark times. And we're just, I'm an egalitarian. I welcome everyone. Uh, I want to thank y'all for having me on and thank everyone for their support. Yeah, it's definitely been a pleasure. I also wanted to mention, I know you also uh, speaking a little bit on prison reform. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Well, um, for a while as a teenager, I was the son of my father was incarcerated and I had several family members and friends that were incarcerated. I'm fortunate enough that I've never been arrested for anything. So, but what I did get to see is that uh, many people that are incarcerated don't get mental health care. And I feel that the the just the just the uh, just the situation of being incarcerated is traumatic. And when they get out, they don't have any plans or care or mental health care. So what I want to do is try to provide some programs that 
will try to get the mental health care in prison while incarcerated and out so they can be more successful. So uh, I was involved in my prison ministry at my church, and I also was teaching a recidivism course for job training for those that were just as affected to help them find jobs. So I want to continue that work and help people be more successful when they come out of jail to avoid recidivism, because these are parents. Uh, they're in our community. And I got tired of seeing people get out, uh, get successful for a moment, and just end up back in jail. So people can stay out and contribute to, to the community and help make our world a better place. Yeah, and, and feel a part of society and that they're not kind of ostracized as well. I think that is important. Right. Yeah. So we have a couple more questions and then we're gonna, we're gonna not take so much of your time. Um, is there a book that you can recommend that helped you, helped you get through your emotions, get through your healing? Um, anything you can recommend that our listeners can read? I think we have to do more reading as a community as well. Uh, is there anything you can recommend? The uh, Book of Five Rings by Musashi Miyamoto. Okay. What is that book about? Um, it's written by what, what what's called the greatest samurai of all time. And it's just his outlook on life. It's really about combat, but the way he he breaks it down, he kind of it kind of encapsulates how to approach everything. It's like to understand the warrior, you must understand the merchant. To understand the merchant, you must understand the politician. It's it's really kind of it's a very short read, but it just it just gets you looking at different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing I read when I started my recovery. And it kind of cleansed my palate and it got my mind ready to absorb other things. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I will say The Richest Man in Babylon was the next book. And after that, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. I know you just asked for one. But yeah. I know, that's great. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you if that first book you mentioned was similar to The Art of War of Sun Tzu. Yeah, by Sun Tzu. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, those three. Those three were kind of the first three I started off with. Yes. And, you know, if you don't, and I'm a big fan of Audible. And uh, so, you know, you can get the audio, audio books of it or Blinkist. Blinkist is a great app. It kind of summarizes the books. I know I'm giving you way more than what you asked for, but no. <laughs> good stuff. you can get a summary of the book because I know people don't have a lot of time and, you know, stuff like that, but definitely read. I'm definitely a fan of reading and, and taking in knowledge. I love learning. So take in knowledge. You can get inspiration from anywhere. Yeah, most, exactly. I mean, my, like I've known people getting inspiration from SpongeBob. If that inspires you, take it. As long as you can take it and make something out of it. Like, I'm a huge Batman fan. I can draw inspiration from that. If you can draw inspiration from somewhere and turn it into something productive and positive that can help people, it's a blessing. Do it. Yeah. Like they say, chew the meat, spit out the bones. <laughs> That's right. I ain't never heard that, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, here's another one. The broken clock's right twice a day. Yep. So mm -hmm. you can get something from everybody. That's why we all have to be great listeners. Yeah. And you never know what God will use to inspire you. Exactly. George, for all of us that are out here raising boys, what is your biggest two recommendations for us, especially as they're getting into the teenage years, into early manhood? What do you recommend to parents, mothers and fathers, since you're kind of in the 
in the crunch right now, raising a son that has bipolar and, and you know, you're doing it. So what advice can you give to other parents? Nurture them, nurture them. One, first of all, spend that time, get to know them. Like with my son, my son just taught me how to play chess last Friday. We've been playing it constantly and we've had the deepest conversations over chess and I've learned a lot about him and how he thinks. Number two is give them what you always wanted coming up. Give them what you wanted from your parent growing up. Give them just, if you just, those two things, and you'll find that you have the best relationship with them. If you give them what you always wanted, put yourself in their shoes and you'll find they'll live more enriched than what you did. Push them to be better than you. And they'll appreciate it. Yeah, I love that. Thank you very much. And lastly, today, what would you say is the greatest matter of your heart right now? My children. That's it. Good stuff. I got five of them. I got five of them. Two of my own, three from my fiance. I got five. I claim all five of them. Good stuff. Love it. Awesome. Russell, did you have any other questions for George? No, that's that's about it for me. And once again, George, we really appreciate, you know, the time that you took out of your day to share with us and our listening audience. Yeah, we we definitely appreciate you. We wish you continued healing on your journey. Hey guys, I'm back. So again, we did do Facebook Live and uh, our ending got cut off just due to some technical issues with Wi-Fi and stuff like that. But you know, sometimes when good, strong energy comes together, those things happen. I'm getting used to it. So please reach out to George. Support Meta Association. It's so important for our community that we have these type of role models, especially from firsthand experience. I am a big proponent on, you know, experiencing things and not just teaching people from a concept that you read about, but from actually going through it. And I think people who actually experience things are often the best teachers because they went through it. So reach out to George if you have any questions. And um, as always, guys, we'll catch you at the next episode. Until then, lots of love and light. Take care.